Welcome to the Tummy Team Journey Podcast. I'm Kelly Dean, physical therapist and founder of the Tummy Team. This podcast shares the personal journeys of Tummy Team clients as they restore their core and pursue being strong to be pain-free and connected for the life they were meant to live. Welcome to the Tummy Team Journey Podcast. This is Kelly Dean from the Tummy Team, and I am talking with my sister-in-law, Brittany, today, and we're going to talk a little bit about birth processing, and she's going to share some of her story, and we're going to talk a little bit about miscarriage and babies after fertility issues, and this might be a little emotional for some of you, and we want to kind of prepare you for that, but I think it could be really powerful too. And we also have Wilder in the background, so you're gonna hear like little squeaks from our, um, my new nephew as well. So welcome, Brittany. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've been spending the weekend with Brittany to get to know Wilder and um, after um, his birth, and so we've been talking a lot about all kinds of stuff all weekend. <laughs> and I said, I want to interview for you for the podcast. So one of the things, tell tell everybody a little bit about you. Tell them how many kids you have. Tell them your age. Tell them. Yeah. So I am 34 and my daughter Juniper will be four on the 4th of July. And my son Wilder is um, almost three months old. And I'm married to... Kelly's husband's brother. Yeah. <laughs> and so um we're coming on just about 10 years so I feel like I know Kelly fairly well and she has been <laughs> she's been very instrumental in um my fertility journey and also through the loss that we had at the beginning of 2020 was instrumental to have you be a part of that journey with us. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been fun for me because um, you guys are a little bit younger than us, <laughs> yeah. but not as young as my kids. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of yeah. like this in-between <laughs> stage where I feel like even after Juniper was born, it was just such a precious time for me to feel like I could support you as a new mm -hmm. mom. Yeah. And I could, you know, because I work with so many um, new moms to have somebody in the family that I could love on. And, you know, provide resources too. And it's always interesting. I, I think a lot of people that follow me think, oh, it'd be so great to be, have you in the family. But the reality is <laughs> when people have me in the family, they I'm just Kelly. I'm not Kelly Dean from the tummy team. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you would... You know, they don't all, my sister and all the people in my, my parent, my mom, who should probably do my program, they don't do my programs. Um, but they, I do give them resources. I do, you know, obviously I offer my program, but it's just, it's just different when it's family members. Um, but what's been really interesting on the saddest, one of the saddest situations you guys went through was also a really bonding time for us because you you lost a baby between Juniper and Wilder mm -hmm. and um and it, it was it was a similar miscarriage I for those of you that don't know my story I've lost five babies mm -hmm. um and three of my babies were well four but one was a little bit different um but three of my babies were a missed miscarriage which is what you experienced where you 
don't even know your body. You don't know that you miscarried. Mm-hmm. You don't start bleeding. Yeah. There's just no heartbeat. And yeah. you start waiting and waiting for your body to miscarry and it doesn't. Yeah. And you still have all the symptoms of pregnancy. You still feel pregnant. You mm-hmm. still start second guessing. They didn't. Mm-hmm. They 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 made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just it's a. I mean, all miscarriage is really really hard. But yeah. I think that it's just a a weird um, process. Yeah. To kind of figure out what do you need to do, and it's really hard. For me, I had DNCs um, with mm-hmm. almost all of my miscarriages because my body would just not let go yeah. of the baby. Yeah. And I needed personally to move on. Yeah. Um, I couldn't live in that limbo, but making that call when mm-hmm. you still feel pregnant, yeah, so hard. Yeah, and then sometimes even when you don't make that call at first, ultimately you have to make that call in the end, which is what happened right. for me. Where you, you try to let your body do it in a more natural or different space at home, mm-hmm. and sometimes your body, in the end, you don't really have a choice, right? Because you have to move forward, yeah. and that is it's very very hard. Yeah, yeah, probably the hardest thing I've ever, besides giving birth to him. Yeah, that was another two, one. Two very hard, uh, but differently hard yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. It was interesting. So we, we heard that you had miscarried mm-hmm. and um, I packed up the car and started yeah. driving out. Mm-hmm. And I told you I'm coming up. Yeah. And your first instinct was, no, no. Yes. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to. Because I live about five hours away. Yeah. And not that this is an Enneagram podcast, but Kelly and I are both twos. <laughs> and so we're both helpers. So we both love to give help and neither one of us likes to receive help. <laughs> So yes. we're a match made in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> we force our help on each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I just knew from my own personal story and from the women that I had worked with what people needed. Yeah. And I what want, you needed. Yeah. Even I, though you couldn't ask for it. And I was willing to come up. We stayed in a hotel. I didn't yeah. want to be in your space. Yeah. But I just wanted to be available mm-hmm. because I knew that you maybe didn't know what was what you were going to go th- what you were going to be feeling mm-hmm. and we were 5 hours away. I would rather come and you not need us. Yeah. Than come not come and you wish we had. Yeah. And there's no there's I don't have really close friends who have miscarried and I don't have family members who have had a miscarriage like mine. Um and ironically, we were supposed to leave that night to come to y'all's house. Uh-huh. And so it was actually interesting, looking back on that, that instead of us going to you, you all came to us. Yeah. And um, the way that I found out that I miscarried was I was about eight or nine weeks pregnant. And I went to like a pregnancy clinic just to get an ultrasound, like a walk-in just to have an ultrasound to bring down before we told family. Cause we were actually going to Portland area to tell family yeah, that to we make were this pregnant. announcement. Yeah. And I had gone with my daughter, Juniper, and she was sitting with me on the table and my husband was, uh, on the night shift. So he was sleeping at home. So, um, and it was on Valentine's Day, 2020, and I had to drive home 
wake him up and tell him that we had lost our baby. And that was just, like, the most awful. And awful for my daughter Juniper to be a part of. Like, it was just... Because up to that point, the thought of losing a baby wasn't even on the radar. You had some trouble getting pregnant. Yeah. But you didn't really have any trouble staying pregnant. And you didn't, to your knowledge, didn't know of anybody that really miscarried Mm -hmm. because people don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, And so that was just, like, not even... You know, you weren't worried. You wanted to just, you wanted to have a picture yeah. to surprise yeah. everybody. And ironically, it it actually was one of my greatest fears in life has been having a miscarriage. And I think when you struggle to get pregnant, then the next question you ask yourself is, you know, will I be able to keep this pregnancy? And that's always been a fear of mine was miscarriage. And ironically, that was... Yeah, it's it's kind of like all your worst nightmares mm-hmm. coming true where it's like it's it's yeah, it was um yeah. It's like you're going just to to ease that anxious mm-hmm. voice in your head mm-hmm. and then it happened. I remember when I was pregnant with Juniper, that was like always I struggled with a lot more anxiety when I was pregnant with her. Mm-hmm. Um and just fear, right? Cuz pregnancy, there's nothing else like it and you have no control when you're pregnant. You just you have, have no control anytime. But anytime. But you can't see then. anything. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. Nothing is really tangible when you're pregnant. Um, so. Yeah. It, it's. And it's like one of the things you want so badly. And you. And, and the thought of losing it is hard to yes. imagine. And one of the reasons why. I really wanted to do this podcast with you was I wanted to openly talk a little bit more about pregnancy Mm -hmm. loss, but also, um, we've been doing what we call, well, what I call birth processing (laughs) all weekend, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of talking about your birth and talking about your body's recovery from this birth because this birth was really challenging and the birth recovery was a little challenging. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking a lot about that. And, um, one of the things you just said this morning before we did this podcast, because I said I wanted, I wanted this podcast to be about that, not about <clears throat> doing one of my programs because, mm-hmm. um, Brit's done pieces of my program, but never done it all the way through because of a lot of reasons. There's no guilt here. <laughs> um, a lot of reasons, but <clears throat> one of the things you said was I needed to deal with the emotional components mm-hmm. of what my body went through before I could start addressing the physical needs my body had and I feel like that that is was a powerful thing for you to realize and for you to verbalize and I think it was a powerful thing for us to say here because I think a lot of clients will be oh I know I need to get my body back I know I need Mm -hmm. to physically heal my diastasis and there's this kind of like pressure that we put on ourselves or we feel Mm -hmm. Um, or especially if you know me or you've done one of my programs you're like oh I know I'd feel better if I just did the tummy Mm -hmm. team but you just can't get there or you start the physical process of it and you hit hit an emotional roadblock and you just, you can't move forward on the physical rehab part because you're emotionally dealing with some things. And then you feel like, Oh, I failed. Mm -hmm. I failed. I failed the tummy team. I'm not even going to try again. Mm -hmm. And I want people to know there's no right way to do this. So everybody has their own journey and everybody has, um, 
there's different things that come up and I just want, I want my clients to always know that if you've started a process and you hit a roadblock because mm -hmm. of emotional things, reach out to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a lot of compassion for that situation yes. and we'll start you over. We'll, we'll pause your access. We'll, we'll figure something out to help mm -hmm. you. But sometimes people need a birth processing session. Um, and I do an e-session with people where we just actually talk through their whole birth experience yeah. because there's, we, we start to start to think a certain way. We have a, a specific perspective of what happened and then we kind of don't want to deal with it because now we have a newborn to deal with um, and to be there for and we don't want to kind of go back into it, but we kind of need to. Mm -hmm. And I think that we had a really cool conversation yesterday about your birth. So let's talk about the birth of Wilder. And first off, let's talk about Juniper. <laughs> Juniper was quick and easy, man. Well, maybe not easy. Birth's never easy, but... But easy as probably could be. <laughs> especially for a first birth, right? Yeah. yeah, she was just... I think my pregnancy felt relatively easy with her, other than being emotionally, like, anxious about things. She, I felt really great. I was able to work out all through my pregnancy. I uh, had virtually no pain. Um, her birth progressed really beautifully so um, you labored at home for quite a while I labored at home transferred and by the time I transferred I had her like less than five hours later in the birth center and then you guys were home I was home four hours later yeah it was quick quick was, I could not even believe that yeah and I felt phenomenal I um was able to like you know I had visitors mm -hmm. on the fourth of July you know I was I couldn't wait for like that six week mark to get the clear to start walking or mm -hmm. exercising more. I was like just itching to go for walks, mm -hmm. like would have to force myself to slow down because I felt so good. Right. Um, and she was just a delightful baby mm -hmm. and she was just in a lot of ways, her pregnancy birth and infant stage was, I don't, I I cannot imagine ideal. complaining about any part of that. Pretty it's ideal. Like pretty ideal. She's pretty unrealistic for yeah, her. Yeah, for first baby. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you had some fertility struggles going into it. So mm -hmm. this was like, yeah, you, you got you a got a pass gift. there. It was a gift. <laughs> um, you know, and then when there was a lot of fear and anxiety with this pregnancy with Wilder because of the miscarriage. Yes. Right? It was It was so exciting when we found out you were pregnant. Like our whole family was just... So excited for yeah. you guys, but mm -hmm. so scared, right? Yeah. To to hope mm -hmm. and lose yes. again. And we tried after Juniper. We tried for eighteen months for the pregnancy that we lost. Yeah. Um. And then after we lost that baby, we tried for only a couple of months mm -hmm. for Wilder. Mm -hmm. So I think we were shocked and scared at how fast that happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And but this pregnancy was far harder. Yes. It was it was like I have I have ne I had never been pregnant before. It's like I had never been in labor before and I felt like I had never had a newborn before. All of it felt like I had never done it before. Um I think just from the beginning when you find out you're pregnant after a miscarriage, you force yourself psychologically to kind of remove yourself from um 
It's hard to from connect. It. It's, it's hard, hard to connect. And, and then you feel guilty mm-hmm. about not connecting. Yeah. But it's scary to connect. So scary to connect. And you feel, I think there's a real sense of like, um, I was so connected to the baby that we lost, like from the very beginning, telling Tim, telling family, um, every part of that was like just exciting and like wonderful. And then when I found out with Wilder, I was just so fearful and like, is this going to happen again? Um, it just, it's a really hard place to be because you want to celebrate life and, um, yeah, when I think back to that time, it's wild cause it was literally almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to think back on what that feeling was like. Yeah, yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. It's not your favorite time. No, it's not. And it kind of progressed from there where, you know, then you're doing the... <laughs> you're doing the extra ultrasounds and you're doing um a lot of blood a lot of blood work at the beginning to make sure that you um checking my HCG levels all the time and uh so I had like double the amount of blood tests, probably triple the amount of ultrasounds. Um and then I had additional scares in this pregnancy as well. So that made that aspect <laughs> that made that aspect hard as well. The, so this pregnancy, because because there were some complications, because you had mm-hmm. lost the other one, a lot more interventions than you were used to, which every time you go in for a test, you have that anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, every time you look, sometimes the more you look, the more they find. Yeah. And it's stuff they don't even yeah. need to be worried about, but you start looking at stuff. And, and I think that one of the things that we talk about at the Tummy Team a lot is the number one issue we see in clients is actually not weakness, it's disconnect. Mm-hmm. So if you think about how emotionally you kind of had to disconnect to kind of survive emotionally mm-hmm. through yeah. this part of your pregnancy, you were also physically disconnected from your body and your body started to really struggle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because you were so physically connected prior mm-hmm. to to the baby you lost yes right you were very active and outdoorsy and yeah um, doing lots of like workout classes and just you know you really yeah. like to be connected to your body um and then you you really went to the other side of that spectrum yeah and I feel like what you mostly experienced in your pregnancy was pain yeah for sure and I think it's not just physical pain, it's emotional, spiritual. <clears throat> Every pain you felt created another anxiety of what yeah. is this, what is this, and how much longer Yeah. can I make it to the end of my pregnancy? Can I make it mm-hmm. to the birth? Can I survive this? Yeah. Because my body is hurting. Yeah, at like 20 weeks. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And I think there's like, this sounds horrible, and I'm sorry if this is triggering for anybody, but it's my story and very probably honest and hard to hear, but every time that I went in for, excuse me, an ultrasound or a test, and even when I felt him moving, every day I would think he's probably dead, and then when I would feel him kick or I would see him move on an ultrasound or get a a blood test back, I would be like, okay, like he's alive today. Mm -hmm. So imagine that your brain does that every single day Mm -hmm. for 
40 plus weeks. And you it, probably internalized almost all of that. For sure. You didn't say yeah. that out loud very often. When I did, I think I shocked my midwives. Like they were very taken aback because I think the reality is I know I'm not the only woman who thinks that. I oh, yeah. know I'm not. And that's why I want to say things, especially right now, that are mm-hmm. like harder to hear or maybe more shocking mm-hmm. to people who haven't had a miscarriage. But I guarantee that people who have, maybe they haven't had that exact feeling, right. but on some spectrum, there's a lack of trust that your pregnancy will, that you will see your baby at the end of your pregnancy. Right. Um, and I think the more we talk about that, the more we can sit with each other in that. Yeah, for sure. And I felt so much, I felt so much shame Mm -hmm. about not being in love with being pregnant. Oh, yeah. Right? Because I wanted to be pregnant so bad. Yeah. And then I was pregnant and I was terrified. And And are you complaining about it? Yeah, and I don't want to complain or I was worried. And and then I felt so much shame that I'm not even enjoying this. This is probably going to be my last pregnancy because I don't think I can do this again emotionally. Um, And I'm not even enjoying it. And, And then when you think about how much we know that the baby experiences our emotions while they're in the womb, then there's so much guilt like that. I, he said, he's feeling my anxiety or she's feeling my anxiety. But the reality is I was doing the best I could. Yeah. And I was doing the very best I could and you were doing the best you could. Yeah. And some of the great advice I got through, um, friends and through counseling is that you can experience multiple emotions at once. You can be grateful and you can be scared and you can be grateful and you can be in pain. And people that know you and love you well, they would tell me, you don't need to tell me that you're grateful for this pregnancy. Like we've walked this journey with you. We know you're grateful. This is a safe space to say, this is hard. This is scary. I am in chronic pain and not just physically, Mm -hmm. right? And so the more that I think, as women, we talk about that. Like, right. of course we know. You knew I was grateful. And you, you... are not a complainer by nature. <laughs> that's not, that's pretty yeah. optimistic person, <laughs> you know. But it was all-encompassing. Yeah, and right? it's, when it is so mental and emotional and physical, it's, it is, it's hard. And it's hard when you have prayed and longed. Oh, it's making me emotional for something so long. Yeah. It almost feels um, impossible. Yeah. So. It does feel <laughs> impossible. And and it's kind of beautiful right now. You know, yeah. you're in this really raw moment, but you have this little angel yeah. in your arms as yeah. we're talking. But it's still there. You can go back and feel all of that yeah. pain. And yet you're holding this beautiful baby in your arms right now. Yeah. It didn't. holding the baby doesn't eliminate how you felt then and that is the importance of birth processing because if we don't go back and kind of release it yeah and and heal and embrace our experience um and acknowledge and respect what our body and our yeah what we went through it is hard to kind of move forward it's gonna it's gonna poke out at some point yeah and so um so, 
you had a hard, painful pregnancy, and you did a little bit of work with me to help it, but then... <laughs> tried my hardest. <laughs> I know, and that's what I want people to know is, yeah. like, I, you know, I have clients that'll say, I don't think I can do it, and I'm just like, even if you can do a little bit, it'll yeah. help. Yeah. And I feel like for you, knowing that it's available... Yeah. ...kind of keeps that hope. Like, I know that this is a, a, time, a season. Yeah. Um, that I'm in and I'm not going to always be in this season yeah. and I have hope and I have resources when I'm ready to be yeah. in at that next level to do this next work. But right now this is the work you need to do. Mm-hmm. And you've been really good about honoring what your body has needed to do the emotional work. Yeah. So the birth with Wilder was not Juniper. No, and you I, didn't want it. You really didn't want to go to a hospital. <laughs> I hate hospitals. You don't yeah. like people to take your make decisions for you. I don't like being told what to do with my body, mm-hmm. I think. And uh especially in COVID right now, mm-hmm. there's a lot of restrictions that can feel scary, right? Mm-hmm. That you don't like masks are kind of scary, right? Mm-hmm. And they are hard when you don't know you you don't know what your provider, you can't read facial expressions. You, it's just harder. And not that my midwife's didn't wear masks, but I knew them from before. So I knew just, I felt like I had, I, they knew me and they loved me well. And so I really had wanted to continue a similar story to what I had for Juniper. And I was really hoping that this birth was going to be like a healing process for me. And I, um, I think I should preface before the birth, a couple of weeks before Wilder was born, there was some, concerns about his size which led to a later term ultrasound which then kind of had a scare of intervention but then retracted the intervention a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of fear and anxiety and, right at the end and roller coaster where mm-hmm. and and honestly me advocating for myself and for him and then when uh in the end after speaking to specialists because of me pushing back led to the the intervention was then dropped um because it wasn't needed um and then the day that I went into labor I had my 40 week and one day appointment and I think this is imperative to the story because I had uh my checkup and when they have they use a Doppler with midwifery care versus ultrasounds and my midwife looked for his heartbeat for around four minutes and couldn't find his heartbeat. And, um, and I started asking you those questions. When's the last time you felt him move? Mm-hmm. And I was by myself because of COVID restrictions. My husband and Juniper were in the car. And that's another difficult piece is that I really envisioned Juniper being a part of this because she was a part of our miscarriage mm-hmm. for this to be kind of redemptive for her and to see, and be a part of that care. And that just was not possible with COVID. And, um, so my husband was with her. And so I walked through this whole appointment. It was terrifying. Um, and praise the Lord, they, you know, found his heartbeat after a few minutes, but four minutes feels like 45 when you're laying on the bed waiting for that. When you already every day think the baby may be dying. Yeah. And, and another huge, like praise for me was that he was a very active baby in the womb and Juniper was not active at all, but he, I mean, he was just constantly 
movie, especially at night. And for me at night is when your brain is calming down and really your fears can creep in. And I think that was just such a gift to me from the Lord was like a very active baby in the womb because I could go to sleep and be like, he's with me. Mm -hmm. Like he's here and now I can calm my brain and go into sleep. Um, And so I think those are important things as part of my story. And then after they found the heartbeat, I had a pretty invasive physical exam to try and see if scraping my membranes was a process or a possibility um, and just as check dilation but it, it felt was, like a violation. It was very, and, and my midwives were just phenomenal. Like, is this okay? Do you want me to stop? But you're like, I want to know, am I dilated or, mm-hmm. you know, am I effaced? And it was pretty painful. And I think the correlation of those two experiences, no heartbeat and then a physical exam are linked back to my trauma of my miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you want me to talk about that prior to the birth Um, but my miscarriage was a missed miscarriage and then I took medication at home, uh, and when I had a follow-up ultrasound, it showed that the medication had not worked and I had a choice to do another round of medication or to move forward with a DNC. And another problem we have is that, uh, to get a DNC is actually quite difficult if you don't have an OB. Who does them so the hoops for me to jump through and the amount of research for me to do you're telling your story over and over and over again to these receptionists and then to the OB that you meet with and so you're just reliving that and you're in it you're not even out of the woods you're in the woods explaining why you're there and so I went to meet with this OB in order to schedule my DNC and she said well I'm gonna do a physical exam before we move forward with uh, the DNC. And she said, sometimes I can just go up there and tug and things will release. And I, again, this is, you did the warning, this is triggering and it is very triggering uh, even for me to think back on. But again, it's Mm -hmm. my story and my hope is that the more we dialogue about these realities, my hope is they will become less in the medical field and that we can walk together and advocate for each other to say this is not how this process is supposed to go. No. And she used tools and began to do a physical exam and tug things inside my body. And um, it was incredibly painful. I had no anesthesia whatsoever. And no, even like if you were having a procedure like that, they would at least have you take ibuprofen before you come or something. But yeah. like there was no, there was no, emotional preparation for it and no physical preparation for it Mm -hmm. yeah and you think that you're like okay she's like I'm trusting this person because this is their field of expertise and I don't know any different I don't know what that even means and you're in such a state emotionally that you don't you don't know how to question or advocate for yourself no um and you're alone and I'm alone again because COVID the beginning of COVID And so, um, basically she tugged around it quite a bit. It was incredibly painful. And she said, okay, like, I think there's no, not anything else I can do. I'll be right back. And I sat up and on the counter, she had left all of the bloody equipment that she had used and 
and what she had pulled out of my body was sitting on the counter. Mm. And so then they give you like a little whatever pack of wipes, this small little, Mm -hmm. and you're trying to like clean the blood off of your thighs and your legs. And I'm in this sterile room alone. And, you know, here's a procedure at this point. Like she, you kind of somewhat hold it together in front of the doctor for some reason. Right. And they leave. And that's when you just like, yeah, you realize the emotional impact of what's happening. And And I would have had my husband there had I known that was going to be there. I would have advocated for that. But I'm like, I'm just going to have a conversation so I can get this procedure. And that's where I need him. Um, And so I kind of walked out of that like very dazed and confused and traumatized. Traumatized for sure. Um, And so then about 72 hours or 48 hours later, actually less than 48 hours later, I was up moving around the day before the DNC. And I, at this point, I've been bleeding since I started the medication. I never stopped bleeding. And all of a sudden, I had this, like, curdling pain. And I lost intense amount of blood for 12 hours straight the day before my DNC. Um, and so that is like... Because then you go through two at-home miscarriages, and then you have a DNC. It's basically what your body And this was... Does. This was weeks. Weeks. Mm-hmm. This is a, a weeks of of trying to come to terms with this miscarriage mm-hmm. and take care of yourself. Yeah. Weeks. So from the I believe that from the time that I figured out that I lost to the time of my DNC was four weeks and then I bled two weeks after my DNC. Yeah. So I I think I had six weeks of bleeding. Um and and that's not just physical. That's every time you go to the bathroom. It's a reminder. You're like, mm-hmm. I lost my baby. I lost my baby. Um, and so that is a really important part of my story because that specific exam that happened was very traumatizing. It was invasive. And unfortunately, that's... It, and it was, it was like without your permission. Yes, without my permission. And so that is my stronghold the whole time I'm in this pregnancy I don't want to go to a hospital I don't want to go to those sterile rooms I don't want someone to treat me the way that she treated me that is unlike how I have this relationship with my midwives and so if you jump fast forward to the day that I gave birth to Wilder not that my midwives are at all they're saying you know should we back out should you know you look uncomfortable and I'm like no I want to know where we're at and I should have said this is not a good idea let's stop Mm-hmm. But again, when you're working through a lot of emotional parts of a miscarriage, well, you sometimes don't know that something's going to trigger you until it's triggered you. Yeah, and you don't even right. know you've been triggered till hours later. Right. Yeah. Right. Because you're just in you're just in the storm of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. And I don't have. Or my... maybe even months later, like we're talking about yeah. it now. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I can see all these yeah. connections. Yeah. Which is a, another reason why the birth processing is so valuable. Yeah. And I wish I would have found childcare for Juniper and. Had Tim be there, because I think he would have said this, no, like, stop, this is... But, in any case, that's a part of my story now. And so I go home. Oh, actually, I go to the car and I sob with Tim. We run errands, we go home, and I'm like, I don't, I, I, like, I don't want you to go into work tonight. I need you near. I, this, that was so traumatizing for me. Um, And I kind of sent out this mass prayer request for our... Uh, close friends and family like this is what happened today this is terrifying pray for peace 
and that my body can rest um, and prepare for whenever labor starts. And and then labor starts. I got up at 1.15 in the morning and lost my mucus plug and thought, I'm going to do my hair and makeup because it'll be hours and just kind of see how I felt. And we left for the birth center at 3 a.m. because I was in complete active labor between 1.15 losing my mucus plug by 1.45 I was in labor and Tim really wanted to leave probably at 3 and I actually we did I think we left at 3 in any case very fast so we get there and it's very different from Juniper's um, when I arrived at the birth center last time I was like in intense labor I was kind of laughing and like this is happening this is moving so fast I was at seven centimeters when I got there, so like two hours after labor started, mm -hmm. yeah. or after I lost my mucus plug, more or less, um, and I started kind of working through contractions. I was feeling really good, and I don't know what happened, but my body started to try and push, and I think it started pushing too early. When my water broke, it sounds like my dilation decreased mm -hmm. and so through a series of hours we found out that he was sunny side up and that my cervical lip was blocking um and the part of this labor that i was difficult for me is that it kind of went from like zero to a hundred so my body didn't feel very progressive in a positive way it just kind of skyrocketed which I was able to manage at first but I think when I started pushing and there was no progress with pushing that was hard and it was like your body just started pushing your body mm -hmm. was was yeah. moving forward yeah. yeah and it felt like and the other hard thing is once you start pushing it's really hard to stop pushing mm -hmm. for me and so um we were pushing and pushing and pushing um, and they try to, you know, please, you know, try and stop pushing. And then when you start pushing, your body can't relax. Mm -hmm. So he was just stuck in the chute. Mm -hmm. And because I was pushing, my body hadn't relaxed enough for him to drop all the way. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of my labor was them inserting their hand, trying to push back my cervical lip. Mm -hmm. So if like the three links we have is that right. started with my miscarriage and having a hand inside me doesn't rel I don't think it relaxes anybody's body <laughs> in no. labor but I think it was a certain part of a trigger for me that right. really seized my body and if there's uh some video I have of that mm -hmm. this labor where you can hear my moans through contractions are not yeah. what they were with Juniper it was tense and hard and almost sounds guttural. like guttural and like I'm vomiting and it is and I didn't it was just all internal and tight and awful. and one of the things that we talked about was um you know our body when when we're afraid of losing a baby yeah we feel like it's almost like our body doesn't want to give birth either yeah it, it's like the body wants to we can easily say oh my body failed me it didn't yeah. push the baby out but I think our body is trying to do what our emotions have been saying all along. I don't want to lose this baby. Mm -hmm. I don't want this baby to come out too soon. Yeah. And then it's never, we, we, we can't flip that switch and yeah. say now it's okay for the baby to come out because we're trying to hold the baby in the safest place we yeah. can. And then um, you have this 
internal battle of the baby's big enough to come out. So, you know, physically our body's trying to push it out, but emotionally our body is trying to keep it in. Yeah. And that, that war can kind of keep us from fully dilating, can keep the baby from moving all the way down, can keep the contractions from being completely effective it's it's a hard thing and it does it's different for every birth and every person but I feel like you know recognizing that your body was what had a lot of just like you said I can feel two things at once yeah I feel like your body was doing that too (laughs) your body was like it's right we're ready for the baby to move out into the world and at the same time your body was like saying nope we yeah. need to keep this baby where it's safe. Yeah. And my therapist was even saying, you know, like, imagine that you're on a walk with somebody and they're like, you know, you, when was the last time you even felt your baby move? Cause I don't think there's a heartbeat. And, you know, I think your baby's head is way too big for the, the age of your baby, which was part of the intervention mm-hmm. that they wanted to have before. And I think that his, his, he's too big of a baby. I don't know that he's going to be able to come out. We may need to have some, some major interventions here. If, if a friend says that to you on a walk mm-hmm. or whatever, you're like, oh my gosh, like it, you second guess. So imagine that medical professionals are saying that to you hours before you give birth. Mm-hmm. You, the, what that does to your mental state as you go into labor is takes a huge toll on you mentally and it affects your birth. Not everybody, but it affected my birth dramatically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because I don't think I ever let... I was able to process through those experiences prior to moving forward in labor. So I carried those very tightly yep. with me into my labor. And even that carrying tight, like you, you demonstrated that by fit, holding your fist, yes. mm-hmm. you know? Um, that was my body. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and I say this all the time. We we hear people, and I used to say it for always, I have a really high pain tolerance. I have a really yeah. high pain tolerance. Um, a high pain tolerance means that you can tense up and tolerate pain, Mm -hmm. but we know that giving birth is letting go. It's relaxing and letting go in the midst of pain. Um, and that is a hard thing to do. And I felt like I was, I felt like I was like, I know how to do this. Like I did this with Junie. I know how to open up, open my mouth, think of a wave Mm -hmm. coming in and going back out. And we talked about this point too. Like imagine that someone's like putting pressure on your leg or whatever and they're pushing harder and harder you're able to work through that pain because it's gradual Mm -hmm. but when someone comes up and socks you in the stomach you're not like let me gradually work through that sucker punch (laughs) to the gut and unfortunately that's kind of what happened in my labor and I wasn't able to catch my breath or open up the way that I needed to it happened so intensely and so fast that it was like I and and because the way he was positioned he wasn't dropping and the posterior and the cervical lip and so basically by 7 a.m they gave me one more hour to push and I think they kind of knew yeah a transfer was happening and it was really I mean I think my my poor husband I think that this put him really through the ringer um and I made eye contact at one point with my midwife and she said I feel like you want to say something to me right now I feel like you want to tell me something. And in my mind, I was like, I want to get out of here and I want to get an epidural. And I want to get an epidural and I want to get an epidural. I want to relax my body. And it's hard. Everybody has a different journey through labor. And for me with Juniper, it was very spiritual of like letting go and um, 
opening my body and trying to relax and trusting the process. And this one I think had a lot more fear because I think my pregnancy mm-hmm. had more fear. It was also very intense and it was painful, which was all those things that my pregnancy mm-hmm. was with Wilder. And um, I tried to let go. I tried to get into that mental, spiritual place and um, my body kept screaming, like, get me out of here, get me an epidural. I couldn't stay in any position very long. I would get on all fours mm-hmm. and want to get up and just like run for the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, very flight Fight or flight, mm-hmm. yeah. and I was like both of those simultaneously, but more so flight, like just running to trying to get, get away. But you couldn't get away because it was in your body. Yeah. <laughs> there was no escaping. So you guys got transferred to the hospital. Yep, you made that decision. There was yeah, there was no there was other no decision. Other, there was no other decision. <laughs> um, and you, I remember you saying how that was when Tim really lost it. He really cried at that time. Yeah, and I remember telling you that there's a part of the husbands. It's so hard on husbands. It's, yeah. So they, it's to watch the person they love be in so much pain and yeah. not be able to do anything to help yeah. them. And then I think there was a sense of relief and fear, but re- fear for you because you didn't want to go, but relief that he's like, okay, we're going to be somewhere where if yeah. something big has to happen, they can do it. Yeah. And, and he probably just released all that at that time, that yeah. crying. Yeah. Um, well, the poor guy drove me to the hospital and we, we pulled over a couple of times for mm-hmm. some major contractions um so scary so I think he's like what first of all I'm driving this like she's at and and I transferred at 10 centimeters and pushing Mm -hmm. so that's the terrifying but he's he's driving you and you're not going by ambulance here and he's also like I know this baby isn't gonna come out because it hasn't come out in the last hour but what if it comes out in the the car car? yeah (laughs) on the side of the highway yeah and so then the whole process of getting into the hospital and then we had to wait over an hour for the epidural so you know, he, and he's trying to, like, there's no advocating me for myself. So my husband is a sweet, non-confrontational, non-confrontational, nine on the Enneagram peacemaker. And he was like, where is this epidural? Where, like, we need to get to the back. We called ahead. So I had this, you know, I'm asking so much of him emotionally, but also so much more of like him his for personality. His personality, like, <laughs> And I, like, I kind of came in and out of my body at that point where it's like, I'm watching, like, this must be kind of hard for him, but this is way harder for me. <laughs> but like, wow, he's really having to step out of like who he is to like advocate for me and, you know, have a really assertive voice where mm-hmm. it's kind of uncomfortable. But, and it, he just did so well. And what I put him through in that labor at the birth center and then up until I got my epidural at the hospital was just so hard. And it was once we got the epidural and it kicked in, I looked over and that's when it was like, I think when he saw that, like, I don't think my wife is going to die. Yeah. Um, then I think he was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. I can take a breath. But you have to also remember, like he hadn't had a breath since like two in the morning. And at this point, by the time I got the epidural, it was, and they kicked in. It was almost 10. Mm-hmm. So he had eight hours. I mean, my journey was very hard as well. But right. his emotional journey was a different one than mine because I'm living it and he's watching it. Right, right. And sometimes it's harder to it's watch so, the people you love. Yeah. Not I, harder, remember, I remember when I finally part. got an epidural with Katie, my second. Um, <laughs> and I, I was able to rest and fall asleep. My husband, we had been, he had been pushing on my back yeah. for probably 18 hours straight. Yeah. 
he literally barely got made it to like the little bench and fell asleep. Like as soon as he knew that I could rest and he didn't have to push on my back and hold me up anymore, he just crashed. He fell asleep and I fell asleep. Um, my body really, really appreciated the epidural. Um, you know, I slept for four hours and then pushed the baby out, but he, those, those four, uh, he, he just crashed, you know, and I, in that time, it's all about me. Like, I don't even know what's going on with him, but he was so tired because he'd been, he'd been riding the storm with me without the pain, but trying to be the support system. Yeah. Uh, And he was not trying. He was actually a support system. And I remember like literally when I was in labor with Wilder, I remember like, especially when I hit that pushing without progress. And then when it got, like, from then on, especially the transfer, especially waiting, I was like, I'm going to probably die. Like, I think I'm going <laughs> to die. And he'll live. I'm pretty sure the baby will live. But I'm probably going to die. And I think Tim can handle it. We have a good family support <laughs> system. But I'm going to die. And it's weird because it's not, like, fearful or, like, it's, it's just like, reality. Fact. Like, I'm probably going to die. Like, and I think we don't talk about also, like... Cause like, Oh, you should like labor or like pregnancy should be beautiful. Labor should be, you know, there's all these expectations that society puts on us as women. And it's like, you wouldn't want to say that like, Oh, that you felt like you were going to die. I'm like, no, I really was like, matter of fact, I think I might die. I think this is, this is how, this it, is how I'm going to die. My, this is how I'm going to go. And that's like a horrible thing to say, but it's very real. It was exactly my, where you were at. Exactly where I was. And so horrible surprisingly your hospital experience wasn't terrible no it wasn't it was actually kind of redemptive a little bit a lot of redemption and Mm -hmm. I think a big part of that my dad told me later when we came home he said as soon as you left the birth center I started praying that you were going to have an experience that was what would be like a a good experience for you I prayed that the experience would be the best that you would want it to be we knew that you weren't getting exactly what you wanted Mm -hmm. but I was praying for the who your doctor was going to be, who your nurse was going to be. And so my only correlation to a hospital experience was the DNC, right? Right. And that very traumatic, very traumatic. And I'll never forget that. Like, you know, by the time I get the epidural and I met this, you know, I'm finally like dialoguing with Leanna, my labor and delivery nurse. And just like the compassion that they have. Cause another thing is when you transfer from like midwifery care, you never know, the ambiance that you're Mm going to walk into of like, is this going to be judgmental? Like, oh, this girl thought she could have a baby at like a birth center house and she failed and Mm -hmm. she's here and like, let's just cut her open, give her a cesarean and get her Mm -hmm. on the way. You don't know what you're going to, I don't know what I'm walking into. And so, um, they were just like, let's work through this, uh, posterior baby and let's, do you, do you feel comfortable with this idea? Does this sound good to you? And I was like, well, you're asking me what I think. And they're like, what's your birth plan? What would you like as part of your birth plan? I was like, well, not to be here, but what's my <laughs> next step? And I remember I said something like, I saw a video of somebody giving birth, one of my friends last week. And as soon as the baby came out, they put a hat on her head. And I think that's the weirdest thing that you get this baby and they put a hat on the head. She's like, you don't want a hat on the head after you give birth. I'm like, I don't think so. She's like, then you won't have a hat on the head when you give birth. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, you will listen to something so silly as that. <laughs> But for me, it was like, oh my gosh, like they're listening to that. Like in in the video of him coming into the world, you hear her say to the other nurse, do not put a baby or do not put a hat on that baby's head. And I'm like, Leanna knows me. Like she hears me. And and that was silly, but such a gift. Right. And, and they helped you move him. 
They gently helped you move him to a better position. Mm -hmm. And then I watched your birth video. Just hanging out. You breathed him out. (laughs) You just took a couple breaths and you breathed that baby out. After all of that ineffective pushing. Made it look easy. You did. I was like, oh, this is a beautiful. You're like, that's only the last three minutes. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, even like when the doctor came in. And I met her. It ended up she's this like phenomenal OB that is a liaison between my midwives and the hospital. And I'll never forget that she like touched my knee and she's like, may I please examine you? And I remember being like, nobody has ever asked me that at this hospital. If mm-hmm. they need, especially to the most sacred space in my body, mm-hmm. carrying the most sacred thing that I've worked so hard to get here for. Mm-hmm. And you're asking permission to do that. Yeah. Like for me... And part of me wanting that birth experience was I wanted to be known and I wanted my child to to be loved on by a closer-knit circle of people than a hospital with 50 OBs who don't know or have a relationship with me. And not to say that this OB had a relationship with me, but she made me feel like she cared about me and she made me feel safe. And, and that's exactly what you needed at that's that what point. I needed. And it wasn't like your midwives weren't, but it was no. just you needed to be in a different space and your body needed to relax. I, I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like in my story, um, the epidural was um so key to me being able to um to kind of tackle that that kind of war that was happening physically and emotionally within my body Mm -hmm. it allowed me to um be present yeah and to relax and to allow um my baby to come down and I I I know everybody has a different story yeah some people really don't want to have the epidural and I totally understand that I was that way I was all that way until my last baby I was just like let's just do this thing (laughs) um but but I I feel like I feel like one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted you, us to have this conversation and for us to record it was I want us as women to stop feeling like we need to compare ourselves to one Mm. another. Mm -hmm. Stop feel like we need to have like some some comparison to some ideal experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Birth is is hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard and there's a lot of comparison pieces to everybody's story and I think what I want to encourage people is to to spend some time learning who you are and what your body needs Mm -hmm. it's not your body's not failing you Mm -mm. if you were pushing without progress Mm -hmm. you know there was something going on there you know um my body doesn't fail me when my contractions aren't hard enough without pitocin you know that's not Mm -hmm. for whatever reason that's what my body needed and um and, you know, I just, I think recognizing that and, and at this time after the birth for you to respect and honor what your yeah. body was able to do in the midst of all of that fear and, and fight or flight and trauma. Yeah. You had a lot of trauma, a lot of fear, and that takes its toll on your body. And you, um, you were able to get to a place where your body was able to relax and it mm-hmm. needed the epidural to do so, but your birth ended up being the end of your birth yeah. ended up being really beautiful and redemptive in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think it's, I don't like the phrase as long as a baby and mama are safe, that's all that matters. And I think that is very cultural 
especially in the States, to hear that. Like, as long as the mom and baby are okay, that's all that matters. Whether you have a freak, you know, cesarean section last minute that's traumatic, it doesn't matter because the baby was fine. And it's like, yes, does it matter? Of course, that's... Obviously, but that's the lowest common denominator. That's the bare minimum we're looking for. Yeah, and I hope as women we can start saying, you know, like... But have, how have you processed through your birth? And right. did and maybe your birth wasn't what you wanted it to be, mm-hmm. but did you feel listened to and advocated for throughout that process? Because my birth was not what I wanted it to be, but I felt listened to, loved, and cared for throughout the whole process. And a lot of a lot of people listening to this that have had traumatic births are going to say, no, I didn't have yeah. that experience. So then where do you go from here? Yeah. Like what I think it's important for you to acknowledge that that's what happened. And my birth can still be traumatic even with me being loved and cared for. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, even it, and maybe you weren't loved and cared for, but mm-hmm. you have never acknowledged that and you just jumped into newborn care. Yes. <clears throat> you jumped into the next thing and now you start to try to heal your body and you hit these roadblocks. Mm-hmm. My body's broken. My body won't heal. My body, my diastasis won't close. My pelvic floor will never heal. And I think some of that is that you have to go back and recognize these really hard things happened and mm-hmm. I need to love and nurture. Mm-hmm my body and respect that it's going to take a little bit longer to get over that. Or I need to feel that pain. I need to release that fear. I need to acknowledge that I thought I was going to die. I need to say it out loud. I need to journal it. I need to say it to another person and not feel ashamed for that. Mm -hmm. I need to go through the emotional process, even though it's scary and hard so that I can get on the other side of this, this place. And and, and can, ignoring it doesn't make it go away. It's just no. going to find its way back into your life maybe two, three, four, five years later. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather um, help people sooner if possible. And I think it's, if you felt like a failure, say that. Speak, say it. Say it. Because until you're willing to say that, like, I mean, I was openly saying, like, I failed my birth. I failed my birth. I failed my birth. And I remember thinking, like, what did I put him through because I couldn't deal, like, I couldn't get to that mental, emotional space. Like, he came out with, like, a cone head. Like, what did, you know, like, I just felt so much guilt of what I had put him through, too, because I couldn't disconnect those things or connect them. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like, for me to start speaking that was really healing because it allowed me to see that my body actually did what it needed to do, right? In the end, it did. Did it need more assistance this time around? Yes. But you had a whole different scenario this time away around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you needed more help, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. It's okay to take help. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we don't and, like to take help. And in the end, as, as hard as it is, like especially now being almost three months postpartum, I always am like looking for like the why, right? Like why did I lose our baby or why was this birth so hard or why, 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 like for the meaning of it all. And will we ever really know the meaning? No. But one thing I'm a firm believer in and Kelly, you've really done this is like through our own trauma, how do we love people better? Right. And how does that extend our compassion towards other people through our own suffering? Mm -hmm. And I really believe that like, the Lord has given me this year and a half of of really hard suffering emotionally, spiritually, physically 
to be able to love women better. And in what capacity, I don't know what that will be. But I always want to be an open book and a safe space for women to share their experiences transparently mm-hmm. and as raw as needed. Right. And without I, judgment. Without judgment. And I think when you go through a specific kind of suffering, you can, you, you love women differently mm-hmm. because you've been and walked those paths. Right. And like, and even if it's not the exact same, you know, it, it's exactly. never going to be the exact same. Yes. But I think the the more we realize, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Why is nobody talking about that? Yeah. You know? And and I don't want... I also never want anybody that had your first birth experience yeah. to feel bad about that. Yeah. No. That's a beautiful experience. And yeah. yay. Yeah. You know? Like, I I mean, it's just, it's just recognizing that there are... Um, there's different stories and that we yeah. need to... I always say that the, the, the reason I started this podcast was because we all needed to be reminded of our common humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like we are far more alike than we are different. Yeah. And, um, and, and we all, we all want healthy babies and we all are scared sometimes in yeah. birth and we all, you know, want love our families and love our husbands. And we're all trying to do our best. And I feel like we, um, can come together as a community. And I hope that if you're listening to this, that, even though some of it may have been triggering to you, I mm. hope that if you're listening to this and you realize, hey, I still need to process some things yes. in my birth, reach out to us. Like we, mm-hmm. that, I do e-sessions for that mm-hmm. specifically. Um, and it is, it can be an incredibly healing step in your journey. Um, I want to thank you. Thanks yeah, for thanks being for having me. so <laughs> raw and real. Like I love that. And um, I'm glad you guys got to meet my sister-in-law, mm-hmm. Britt. Um, we have a good time together. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for listening today. Um, we could talk forever. We may need to do another <laughs> podcast in the future. Um, but I hope you are well wherever you are. Learn a little bit more about us at thetummyteam.com. We'd love to help you be strong for the birth and the life you were meant to live. Okay, bye, guys. Thank you for joining us today at the Tummy Team Journey Podcast. The Tummy Team is committed to validating your story, providing you with relevant, practical education to understand your body, and offering effective solutions to live the life you were meant to live. Check out thetummyteam.com to get more information about how we can help you specifically and see if one of our online programs is right for you. You can also follow the Tummy Team on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube to get tips, encouragement, and support. 